we're going to start with a basis of trust. If it's broken, if it's fractured, then we're going to address it. We're going to have to have some of those hard conversations, but we're going to start with, hey, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I think we got to start with that. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world, helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Zeveld. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm LZ, and today we're joined by Clay Scroggins to talk about some of the ways in which leadership is changing. Clay is such a fabulous leader and speaker. Even better, he has a new book coming out in January called The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, Nine Surprising Ways Leadership is Changing. He's also the host of the How to Lead podcast and, of course, worked as a lead pastor for different North Point campuses for over a decade. Clay, welcome to the podcast. LZ, thank you so much for having me. Really grateful to get to be with you and all of your Hundreds of thousands of listeners today. Yes, hundreds of thousands. Thank you. Thank you. I like that. I'm going to manifest that. (laughs) I know. I know. It's been so cool to see the success of the podcast and the success of your business. And I'm just really grateful to get to be a part of it. So thank you. Well, you have done so much for Belay. You have spoken to our team on numerous times. Uh, we, we love your first book. Uh, you are just in our DNA. And so it's truly an honor to have you here with us. Um, thank you. Can I just yeah. say, Elsie, my one of my favorite events I have ever spoken at was mm-hmm. speaking at your um, <laughs> Your co-founders asked me to come and give a Christmas devotional at your Christmas party. Yes, yes. And I'm a, I, at the time I was a pastor at a church. And so that was very normal for me. What was not normal was there was an open bar before <laughs> uh, and during and after. And right, right. Um, I was toward the back half of the program. And it was the first time that I had ever spoken to a crowd that was a little sauced, you know, uh-huh, and yeah, man, yeah. everything was better. The jokes <laughs> totally. were better. The engagement. I mean, people were just all in. It was so fun. It, right. I mean, the birth of Jesus is always a big deal, but it is. when yeah. everybody's had a margarita or two, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really great news. Yeah. I mean, that just kind of speaks to like communion, right? Like, should, should we yeah, just have go. bigger cups for the communion? And, uh, and then there's worship becomes, takes just to a whole new level at that point. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So that's a great fun way to start. And uh, we always like to, you know, give some fun details, maybe stuff that other people don't know about you. Right. And so I've got a fun question. You've been speaking for years, and mm-hmm. we know that you're a world-class speaker. Um, mm-hmm. But let's be honest, we've all had moments we'd like to forget from the stage. For fun, would you be willing to share with us and our listeners your most embarrassing moment on stage? And no, it can't be praying over the belay team when we've had a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> that was not an embarrassing moment. That was a blast. I mean, good, a good. total blast. I mean, I've got, there's three situations that come to mind. I was hosting a big conference one time. I had to apologize because of something that I did. That was embarrassing. I had, I was speaking to a group of college students and I was driving home that night and a friend of mine who was there that night texted me and said, so did you hear? And I was like, hear what? And he said, your fly was unzipped, the whole message. (sighs) 
There's oh, that no. one. That was miserable. Oh, but the yeah. worst probably was one of the first times I I used to speak a lot at this environment with uh, that's a it's a mentoring program for high school students. And I had been dating this girl. I've been married for 15 years. So this was probably 17 years ago. I was dating this girl that I only this was I had only gone on a couple of dates with her and there were no more after this. Uh oh. But I made the terrible mistake of you. We had gone to dinner at this really nice place. It was around Christmas time. I remember I was trying to impress her. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent more money on that date than I had ever spent before on a date. I couldn't believe how much she ordered or how freely she ordered. <laughs> I'm not saying like she ate a bunch of food. I'm just saying sure. she was very free in her ordering. And I was a college student or I was just yeah. getting out of college, getting into grad school. And I used our date as an illustration on stage and afterwards I get this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it was her. No. And no. I didn't know that she was going to be there. She had never been there before. I don't know why she was yeah. there still to this day, but I was like, wow. Oh my gosh. And I, I, I was not disparaging toward her, but I definitely was very open about how shocked I was at how freely she ordered and how little money I had. And anyway, <laughs> I remember just like, you I know, going that. beat red, like I what? But that. anyway, that's the you, you learn quickly when you're speaking in front of other people to just be very careful about the stories you tell and the people that sure. you throw under the bus. <laughs> right, right. I feel like you always, not only, of course, you, we know that you don't ever say names, but I feel like you have to also change some key components of the story. Totally, totally. Right, because... I changed I feel nothing. Like it, I think I used her name. I mean, it, oh, I was I was young wow. in this. I mean, I yeah. was like <laughs> so naive. I had no... Yes, uh, there was yes. nothing in my mind that said she might be here. Zero. Right. Right. I feel like that's when you get a book and it says based on the events, right? Exactly. And so they exactly. can kind of get away with having some similarities, but they've yeah. added enough color yeah. to it too. So yeah, that that's great. Tell me a little bit about your journey coming up from North Point, leading different campuses to where you are now. Uh, you're out on your own, right? I am. Yeah, made okay. a big move about three months ago. So, I mean, I uh, I went to I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, they love their football there. Moved to Atlanta, Georgia, in 1998. Yeah, they, <laughs> they roll with the tide hard for sure. Uh, moved to Atlanta in 1998 to go to Georgia mm. Tech. Uh, studied engineering. Was not good at it. Um, wow. I knew pretty quickly this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I told the registrar at the I had the, had to have this brutal meeting where I needed some approval to get into some other classes. That anyway, and I said, "Hey," she said, "What are you going to do with this degree?" I said, "I'm I'm going to get a master's in theology. I'm not even going to use it." And uh, I said, "Why don't actually why don't we make a deal? I will promise to never use this degree if you'll give it to me." And <laughs> Um, they, I did end up graduating and moved to Dallas, Texas to go to seminary. I studied theology there, ended up getting a master's degree and a doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. But the best thing that happened there was I met my amazing wife, who is a Texan, and we moved to Atlanta. And yeah, I spent uh, the last 18 years working at this network of churches in the Atlanta area called North Point Ministries. Andy Stanley's the 
senior pastor of these and uh, did a lot of student ministry. But then eventually for about the last 10 years, I've been, I was a campus pastor at three different campuses, one up in, way up in the northern suburbs called Cumming, one in Alpharetta, the, the original first campus called North Point Community Church. And then the last two years, I've been at Buckhead Church, which is uh, in the city of Atlanta. And about three months, because of the, I, I've written some leadership books that had given me a lot of opportunity to be able to talk to religious organizations, churches, nonprofits, but also surprisingly, I mean, four out of five speaking requests I was getting were, were with businesses, for-profit mm-hmm. companies. Yeah. And the the book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, I just quickly learned, oh, this resonates with anyone. I mean, I wrote right. it for the 98% of people that aren't in charge, which is most of us, yeah. obviously. And those opportunities just became, uh, I became so interested in them. I just thought, gosh, what would it be like to do this full time? So it was a huge left turn for me in my career to step away and resign from what was in some way. I mean, I, you know, I would have thought it was my dream job, but you know, there comes a time, LZ, I'm sure you've experienced this in life where the job is great, but it's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what, I, that's kind of where I had gotten where as great as this job was, it's not, it's not right for me right now. And yeah, I've been doing, uh, I've created some leadership resources that I'm getting to help companies with and then doing a lot of uh, corporate speaking and uh, having a lot of conversations like this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just want to pause and celebrate the fact that you had that much interest in the book and interest from, um, you know, let's just say for-profit businesses, right? Um, You coming from ministry. And I know that, again, going back to Belay, we have really leaned into North Point Ministries and we've leaned into you. We're a for-profit business, but we understand that, um, you know, God is our number one and we want Him in our business. And there's so many great principles in the Bible that talk about how to be a phenomenal leader. And Mm. I think that the fact that you could leave ministry and really share the knowledge that you've gained being in ministry to businesses is huge, really, really huge. And so I just, I wanted to say that real quick. Thanks for saying that. It's been a blessing for me. I mean, I just have loved getting to serve uh, men and women who are Monday to Friday trying to serve other people as well, for sure. It's been a, it's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Well, what are some of the big things that you learned working with Andy? Oh, goodness gracious. It's hard to narrow them down because it it was a, I definitely felt like it was like a master's degree in leadership for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would just say, you know, a few things. I mean, he just has a very open-handed way. I think the, you know, maybe one of the blessings of his dad's a, uh, was the pastor of First Baptist Atlanta for a long time. So he kind of grew up as a son of a mega church pastor and then being in ministry himself. I just really appreciated how open handed he was. I, I remember when Passion City Church started in Atlanta, that's a pastor by a guy named Louis Giglio, who's one of Andy's best friends. Andy just let off our staff meeting by saying, hey, I just want everybody to know, you know, you probably have heard Louis starting a church. We're so excited for him. Um, If any of you want to go there, if you want to work there, I just want you to know you don't have to whisper about it. You can just talk about it, like be open about it. And I just, you know, that that I saw over and over again throughout the last 18 years of how he modeled that open-handed way of life. You know, I mean, it really is probably the foundation is this deep belief that God really is the one who gives and takes away. And Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody, you know, if somebody on our team is interested in another job, 
let's yeah. talk about it. You know, you don't have to sure. whisper about it. You don't have to, that, you know, there was a, there wasn't a whole lot of fear of having to interview in secret. I just really, I feel like that was a one, one of the remarkable things that I learned from him and just the way he helped shape the culture that, I mean, it really was the, uh, it was a phenomenal place to work, really healthy work culture. And um, there's so much about it that I personally miss, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would say that open-handedness was probably one of the best things I learned from him. Yeah. I find it so interesting how business leaders don't like transparency, but yet they want to trust. And you can't have one without the other, right? And so what Andy did for you guys with that open-handedness is he actually, he could trust you and you could trust him because there wasn't anything hidden in the shadows. Um, And sometimes the transparency hurts. It doesn't feel good, you know, uh, feedback or if somebody doesn't like your idea as a leader, but that is what it takes to have a healthy culture and a growing company because as a leader, we don't know it all. Hmm. And we sh- certainly shouldn't pretend we know it all, right? <laughs> so. LZ, you, I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're hosting this podcast. You're doing the questions, but you're dropping some tweet bombs right now. I mean, that line that you said, yeah, leaders want trust, but they don't want to be transparent. They don't want transparency, which the, the connection between transparency yeah. and trust is, I mean, it's peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it's right. ham and burger. I mean, they go together. Yeah. Um, that's phenomenal. You're so right. for you to share more about your book, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, Nine Surprising Ways Leadership is Changing. Please give us an overview of, of what's included in that. Yeah, sure. Well, I, um, as I mentioned, wrote a book 2017 or released a book 2017 called How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Mm-hmm. And the concept of that book is really just that leadership is not about authority. Leadership's not about a title. It's not about a position. And we all know that. I mean, we, we, we know it intuitively, But the Mm -hmm. lie that I've got to get into my boss's job so that I can really have influence, so that I can really lead, is just, it's baked in all of us. I mean, we all Mm -hmm. believe it. We all believe that whoever is the one that is in charge is the leader. I mean, we believed it in school. We believe it. I mean, and it's just, as much as we know that's not actually true, it's baked within all of us. And what we do know that is true is that ultimately the people that make a big difference in this world are the people that have influence, not the people that have authority. And so the book was really trying to empower people, trying to um, call people out of the shadows of, uh, oh, I'm not a leader or that's the person in charge. And it was just a, uh, it's been so fun to get to carry that message and just get to talk about it so much. So the, Mm -hmm. uh, released a book a couple of years after that, which, you know, looking back on, I released it in September of 2019. If I could do it over again, I would have waited and released it September of 2020 because I feel like it was so relevant to what we went through in 2020, but how to lead in a world of distraction was Mm -hmm. really all about, we keep our fingers on the dial of, noise and distraction and it and we use it we actually use the distraction to keep us from having to pay attention to the stuff that's inside of us that if we paid attention to would actually make us a better leader so sure. it uh, yeah. it was really a book on self leadership so as i moved toward this third opportunity to release something obviously i like everyone else was just thinking so much about the future of 
man, what is this new world going to be? I mean, we have gone light speed into the future. I mean, we have compressed, it feels like a decade of change into the last two years. And everybody knows that leadership is changing. Everybody knows that the way to lead in the future is not the same as the way to the way we led in the past. But the question of, well, how is it changing? How do we need to become a different kind of leader? How can we become the kind of leader that the future is actually demanding? That just was a really interesting concept to me. And obviously, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't read palms. I'm not yeah. an astrologist. I mean, I can't sure. predict the future. That's not just, your side hustle. You're not doing exactly. that. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, nor, nor can anyone really predict the future. Right, right, right. You just crushed somebody's dreams right there. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I think they probably, they, they surely yeah. they already know that they can't. Yeah. But I mean, I can promise you if I could predict the future, I don't, I don't think I would be working in the area of leadership <laughs> development. But I, um, yeah. I, you know, this was a way for me to kind of uh, put my thoughts out into the world about, you know, Wayne Gretzky, that quote that we've all heard over and over again, probably Wayne Gretzky is a famous hockey player who said, uh, you know, if, if you want to be great in hockey, you've got to skate to where the puck's going to be, not to where mm. the puck has been. And I just so right. I resonate so deeply with that idea that I, I want to become the kind of leader that the future is demanding. And, and in order to do that, we have to know, well, what kind of leader is the future demanding? How is leadership changing? So this is a way for me to just yeah hang my dartboard up on the wall and go, this is, this is how I see it changing. But honestly, LZ, what I'm most excited about with this book is I hope to generate conversation. I mean, you know, I've got thoughts on how I think it's changing Mm -hmm. and a lot of it's based on research and study and a lot of thought leadership that I'm borrowing from other people, but everybody has thoughts on how leadership is changing. And I think it's worth talking about so that we can start to develop into Uh, the best kind of leader that the future is going to require. Yeah, I think one of the ways that we see it here at Belay and, um, you know, my my friends who own companies is really uh, the different generations that are within a business, right? Like if you look at the baby boomers, you know, that are getting ready for retirement, those that are, um, you know, Gen X, Gen Z, the millennials, I think that if we lean into the millennials, we really see how leadership is changing and what type of leader we need to be. Uh, Because certainly to your point and and to the Wayne Gretzky quote, it's not where it was. You know, we can't, it's not, no, it's no longer about suits. You and I right now are doing this podcast from our home. Um, Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's the comfortability. It goes back to that transparency and that trust. And so, yeah, I think it's like you said, it's being demanded of us. It is being demanded of us. I mean, that is, and that's not fun. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people I know, LZ, that are like, well, there are timeless truths. And there absolutely are. I mean, there are things that will not change. I mean, this Mm -hmm. would have been better if we were face-to-face and in person. It would have been better in the sense that we could have, there's there's a deeper connection that can happen in person. Yeah. But you, we cannot deny the fact that the convenience that this has saved. I mean, I love what uh, Ed Bastian, I feel like, has been a great leader to watch during the pandemic because of mm-hmm. the way he has led Delta through the pandemic. But yes. um, I, I've heard a couple of interviews with him where he's talked about, look, it is better for the earth. It's better for the world. It's better for dads. It's better for moms if yeah. they travel less and do more meetings online. If that is what serves them best and it's more convenient to do that, it will allow them to be better 
fathers and mothers and it'll be better for our world, which I just thought that is remarkable that he was willing to say that because clearly he wants people to sure get up on 12C and fly, <laughs> fly somewhere. Yeah, and so clearly yeah. there there's nothing that can change some of the timeless things, but there are some changes that I think are for the better. I think there are some changes that are happening mm-hmm. that are not all for the worse. I mean, I think some of them right. really are. Um, it's a little bit like a trampoline, you know, when you, you know, you, you, you put a little bit more effort into it and you end up bouncing higher, you end up reaching yeah. a higher altitude. And I think that's what we're doing. I think we're experiencing a, a, a bit of a, um, an elevated position of leadership in a positive way. Yeah, I love that. Is there any overarching theme behind those nine ways? The, the big theme is that it is the fact that there there is change. I mean, that's the biggest yeah. theme. But okay. I, yeah. I would say, you know, some of the key words that I would I, I would guess if I mean, I just, you know, it's so crazy, LZ, like the way writing a book works. I mean, I wrote this book months ago and then didn't touch it for a while because, okay. you know, the publisher's got to go through the whole process and the editorial right, right. review and all of that. And then you pick it back up again. And I just did this last week because I just read the um, – the audio, I, I did the audio recording for the audio book. Mm-hmm. And gosh, that's such a scary process because you pick it back up and you're like, gosh, I don't, oh. I don't remember all of this. And sure. I'm hoping it's good, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, for me, honestly, I mean, I'm a, you know, just like most people, I'm, I'm a self-critic. And so yeah, there were parts yeah. of it that I was like, gosh, I wish I could go and make this better. Sure. I wish I could go, you know, add to this. Uh, and then there were parts that I was like, oh, I'm really grateful that this made it into it. But I would, I, if somebody were to read through it holistically in one sitting, I would think some of the words that would come out. I mean, a lot of mm-hmm. what you talked about, I think that's why I resonated so deeply with your connection between transparency and trust, because right. transparency, vulnerability, authenticity, trust, mm-hmm. conflict. I would say those are some big themes that I think as we look into the future, we have to pay more attention to those than maybe we ha- had to in the past. Yeah. Are you predicting that there is one of those that you think maybe a leader is going to be blindsided by? Yeah, what a great question. I don't know how blindsided they'll be by it, but I do think there are, I would say maybe there's some of those that will be harder Mm -hmm. for us to adopt or us to adapt to. I would say the, the concept of trust, if I can spend just a minute or so talking about that, here's what... Here's what I've noticed that I think everybody's noticed that when we when we made this radical transition and and what's so great about Belay is you all were leading the way because you have a virtual company. I mean, you have created an amazing culture virtually. Well, nine out of 10 companies have not done that. I mean, their culture was in person, in the building, in the room, around the water cooler, in the break room, at the event together. I mean, that's just what they relied on and the skills it takes to build culture in person are just different than the skills that are required to build culture virtually. And trust is one of those where I would say in the past, trust could be demanded. It could be expected. Mm -hmm. We expected employees as a company to trust us. I expected people as a boss to trust me. And I was able to give people a season to earn my trust. I I could watch what they did. I could observe their performance and once they earned my trust, I was able to give them trust. But I think in the future, because we're there's so much remote, there's so much virtual culture that's being yes. created, 
I think it is going to be demanded for leaders to give trust, to start with trust uh, mm-hmm. and not to make people earn it. Uh, I think it's going to be incumbent upon employees to walk into a company and say, I'm starting with trust. I'm not going to make them earn trust. Yeah. A little right. bit like in our judicial system, how we do the innocent until proven guilty concept, which is, right. I mean, it is such a core foundational principle to what we believe about humanity and what we yeah. and how we treat people. Uh, even in the process where someone has been prosecuted, we still believe that person is innocent until they have been proven guilty. And I would right. say the same concept for trust needs to, we need to make even more of that evolution or transition to, we're going to start with a basis of trust. If it's broken, if it's uh, mm-hmm. fractured, then we're going to address it. We're going to have to have some of those hard conversations, but we're going to start with, hey, I, I trust you. I trust you. I trust yes. you. I think we got to start with that. Yeah. And it's interesting that you that you chose trust because when we have prospects reach out to us or, you know, if if I'm at a neighborhood party and you know, somebody just wants to know about the business and you start out with, oh, virtual assistant or virtual bookkeeper or we don't have a brick and mortar, that's the first question. I would, um, I'm not a betting woman, but I would bet good money that they're going to ask me, how do you trust that they're actually doing their work? And I think that, um, and hopefully I'm, I don't offend anybody here when I by saying this, but I think that... Um, it really does put a magnifying glass on your leadership mm. if you have to have somebody in an office to know that they're working, right? Like, I, f- I feel like it's a person thing that if that is what's tripping you up, then you might not be a great leader. <laughs> That's exactly I, I, right. I just said it. Oh my gosh, I just said it. Because we have to hire adults. That was Brian Miles, one of his very things. We hire adults. We have to have done our due diligence to make sure that we hired the right people outside of being an adult. They have the right skill set to do it. And and to your point, the trust. And so, yeah, I, gosh, there's, there's probably a lot of self-reflection that needs to happen when people read this part of your book on the trust yeah. component. Well, and again, it's not to say that we don't, when the trust is broken or when something happens or when, when they you know, there's numerous meetings where they haven't shown up or their videos turned off or right. they haven't hit their deadline. I mean, I think we've got to be more quantitative in our goals that we're setting, more quantitative in the way we're evaluating to give people more clear, clearer metrics on what they can, because there's, there is less feel, there's less sure. office feel that you have, but it's, I think it's even more important that we become adept at conflict Um, I spend a lot of time in this book talking about conflict because, you know, uh, that's becoming a skill that people are just not as comfortable with as maybe in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. We, I I think in general, our emotional intelligence as a society is going down because of the new way of communicating. You know, we have all these people with keyboard courage that just want to like say whatever they want to say behind the keys and then send it off. You know, we've all done that. I mean, who hasn't ripped off an email with tons of emotion that if if you were there in person with the person that you would have never said. I mean, right. we've all done it. And so because of that, that in person or on the phone or face-to-face over video, that idea of conflict, it's not getting easier. It's not going away. And it's never going to be perfect. I would say the kinds of conversation that we're having in the workplace are the stakes are higher. I mean, we you know, there was a day where you didn't talk about religion at work. You didn't talk about... Right. You didn't talk about your sexuality at work. You didn't talk Mm -hmm. about the way you see gender at work. But 
We're talking about race. We're talking about people's personal view on health and yeah. what they believe about the way to stay healthy and the way to keep a community healthy. We're talking about the way we see gender. We're talking about the way we see, the way we view sexuality. I mean, these kinds of conversations that we are having in the workplace are so much more complicated than what's our dress code going to be? You know, I mean, that one, we look at that <laughs> yeah. and we're like, oh my gosh, softball. Like that, like right, I would yes. love to have that conversation. <laughs> but because of that, um, because I think we're growing, I would say our skills of handling conflict are less than what they had been in previous generations. I would also say the kinds of conversations we're having have become escalated. We've got to have a plan. Um, we've got to become more prepared to have uh, more productive conflict and not be afraid of having it um, if we're going to be leaders that the future demands. So I, I put a guide, I put a, um, in the chapter on conflict, one of the things I'm most excited about LZ is being able to just give people a plan. All right, here's a guide that you can use, a simple way to think through. If you got to have a hard conversation with your boss, if you got to have mm-hmm. a hard conversation with an employee on your team, if you have to address something that's going to be really challenging, here's a way yeah. you can prepare, walk through a process and be able to see um, a more productive conversation happen. I love that. I love tools. I love tools. And I know our listeners do too. So how can our audience get in touch with you? Well, I am on social media, all the platforms. Um, okay, good. I, I'm less active <laughs> on TikTok than on Instagram or on Twitter. I like that Twitter. you say less active though. The fact that you're well, active is Well, I'm on there, good. but I'm not exactly... <laughs> Yeah. Dropping videos every day. But but yeah, I've, I've got a, a website, claysgroggins.com. There's a, you know, contact me button there. And yeah, I would love to hear from people. Would love to have this conversation. Uh, I really do hope that this becomes a two-way conversation. That this becomes a conversation yeah. that we're all having on, hey, what do you see? How do you see leadership changing? And how can we begin to adapt and develop Yeah, I love that. Well, every single thing you write is fantastic. And so I can't wait to get my hands on a copy of this. Uh, Clay, the conversation has been so good. And I'm excited that you have agreed to stick around for a bonus question um, on what leaders can do to get ahead of and prepare for these changes. Hey, guys, you definitely don't want to miss it. To hear that clip, subscribe to our email list and we'll send you a link to our bonus content or visit onenextsteppodcast.com where you can find a link in the show notes. Until next time, own your journey. Join us next week for more practical tips and actionable tools to advance your business one step at a time. Next week, we're joined by Mackenzie Reeves-Decker, COO of System & Soul, who will chat with us about how she works as the number two to a visionary CEO and makes the most of their relationship. This is great information for anyone who works directly for a leader, so you don't want to miss it. Here's a quick preview. In our organization, we talk about team members being the right fit, and fit is an acronym. And fit is, does it fuel their unique ability? Does it impact their trajectory, where they want to be and where the company wants to be? And then is it timely for the business? Isn't it timely for the person? And I think that's true with the CEO-COO relationship. Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com.